Hello, and welcome to the Falls Creek Youth Camp Podcast. This week, we have 4,516 campers and adults from 93 churches. In this service, our camp pastor, Michael Butler, taught on preaching the word from 2 Timothy. And during this message, there were 116 spiritual decisions, including 62 professions of faith. We're back at it again, night four. It's been a great week of camp. I want to tell you something. It is so incredible to stand just off to the side of the stage each evening and to worship with you. I stand just behind this black curtain. There's a little pocket of space there. And I hear your voices filling this room. And it is amazing. I love it. It's the best part of the week for me. I I love worshiping with you tonight. I'm excited for us to continue in worship as we study the Word of God together. If you have a Bible tonight, and I hope you do, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 is going to be where we are in the Bible, in the text this evening. All week long, we've been tracing the story of the Ephesian church and we find ourselves tonight at this passage of scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Why 2 Timothy chapter 4? Well, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but Timothy, the the person after whom this letter is addressed, is a young man that Paul has invested his life in. In fact, Paul refers to him as his son in the faith. Paul loved Timothy. He invested in Timothy. Though Timothy was not his flesh and blood, he saw him as a son. And Paul so believed in the significance, the importance, the strategic location of the Ephesian church that he sent Timothy to be the pastor, the lead pastor, the the shepherd of the church in Ephesus. And so as Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, Timothy is pastoring, he's leading the church in Ephesus. And as we're going to see tonight, Paul has given Timothy some specific instruction of how he's to lead this church that is strategically located for influence, right? That's been our word all week, influence. Because God is calling us to be a people of influence. God is calling you to be a generation of influence. Each and every person in this room, God has uniquely placed you, strategically located you to have influence for His kingdom. And my prayer is that you would recognize how God is calling you and how He's equipping you and how He's raising you up to influence others around you for Christ. The last words that we sang together just before I came out, we sang those words, I'm chosen, not forsaken, I am who you say that I am. And God says that you are his child, you are his beloved, you are his chosen if you have trusted in Christ and he's calling you and he's going to equip you. And when you're surrounded in his armor, you will be protected as we saw last night from that passage in Ephesians chapter 6. And even as we see tonight, he's giving you a charge. He's giving you a mission. He's giving you a purpose, each and every one, to influence others around you for the cause of Christ. 1968 was a summer that the Olympic Games took place in Mexico. And I don't know about you, but in my house, we love the Olympic Games. And so every few years when the Olympics come around, we, that's a highlight event for us. My wife especially, those that know Rayleigh, knows that Rayleigh loves the Olympics. I mean, she, she lives for it. She's here for it. She's been begging me for years that someday we have to go to the Olympics. And so someday that's going to happen, I, I suppose. It's on her bucket list of things to do. In 1968, the Olympic Games, the final event was the marathon. Now, if you know much about the history of the Olympics, the Olympics was really born out of 
the, the idea of a, a marathon. And, and so the marathon race at the Olympics is in so many ways, it is the signature event, even though a lot of times it, it are some of the other more modern events in track and field and those things, particularly at the Summer Olympics, that get a lot of the attention. Swimming has been really popular of late and, and some of those different sports. But the marathon is sort of the, that's, that's the ground floor. That's the, the, the foundational level of what the Olympics is all about. And so in 1968, the marathon was the final event in the Olympics. And so as the, as the race began that day, the stadium was full of thousands, tens of thousands of people who came to cheer on the runners. And if you know anything about a marathon, you know that a marathon takes a while. Even for elite runners who run it in, in really fast times, a marathon takes a couple of hours because it's 26.2 miles. And so as they were about two-thirds of the way into this race, there was a particular runner who, who became injured. He suffered serious leg injuries. Leg injuries so serious that the race course officials wanted him to drop from the race, but he refused to do that. This runner's name was John Stephen Akwari, and he was running, representing the country of Tanzania. And so there was the point in the race when the, the lead runner of the pack, who was a runner from Ethiopia, entered the stadium there in Mexico, and, and the, the crowd erupted in applause, cheering on this runner who ran into the stadium, who ran the final part of the race, crossed the finish line victoriously. And time went on, and more and more runners came, and, and more and more finished the race, until more than an hour after the, the leader had crossed the finish line, the last runner in the pack was John Stephen Akwari of Tanzania. And he came into the stadium, and when he entered the stadium, there were only just a few thousand left. And they cheered for him, and as he, as he approached the finish line, he was hobbling, noticeably injured, and he collapsed across the finish line. After the race, they were interviewing him. And they, they asked about his gutsy performance. They asked about his, his finish. And this was the statement that he made. My country did not send me to start the race. They sent me to finish the race. Students, tonight I want you to hear this word. God has not called you to start the race. He's called you to finish the race. And my prayer is that tonight... The Spirit of God moving in this place. You will be challenged to finish the race. Praise God this week. Some of you have started your race. Some of you this week have surrendered your lives to Jesus. You have answered that call of uh, that movement of God's Holy Spirit and you've, you've made Him the Lord and the Savior of your life. You've started the race. And for many others, you came into this week having begun your race and you're running for the cause of Christ and you're chasing after the prize, the goal, the upward prize to know Christ. But this, this evening, I want you to understand that there are many who start the race but there are far fewer who finish the race. And my challenge to you is that you would be one who finishes the race. See, all the statistics, all of the studies, all of the research, everything that, that, that we see points to the fact that there are so many young people in your generation who at this stage in life, during their teenage years, they make a commitment to Christ, but by the time that they are five, 10, 15 years removed, they're no longer walking with Jesus. They're no longer a part of the church. In fact, the statistics change depending on, I mean, it, it's getting, it seems, progressively worse. 
But depending on whose research you're looking at and which numbers you're looking at, the numbers say anywhere upward of 80% to even more than 90% of the young people that follow Christ walk away from the church. That is so disheartening. And I, I know that those numbers don't necessarily bear true for the ministries and the churches represented in this room, but I've been in ministry for long enough. In fact, this year I celebrate my 22nd year in full-time vocational ministry. And in, Thank you. I spent, I spent 10 years in student ministry. I've spent the last 12 years as the lead pastor of a church. And in those 22 years of ministry, I have seen so many young people that I loved and invested in and taught the truth who loved the Lord and later walked away from the faith. And it breaks my heart. And students, I want to challenge you with a word tonight that you wouldn't just be a part of a statistic, that you would be a part of a generation that breaks that cycle, that you would be a part of a generation that answers the call to Christ and runs the race with endurance. But I'm here to tell you that it's not going to happen by accident. You're not just going to stumble your way into finishing. You have to run the race with purpose. And we see a challenge in this passage of Scripture pointing us to how we can run that race with purpose. So let's read together. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read the first five verses together. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom. Let me pause there momentarily, because he's setting the stage here by saying, listen, I'm charging you in the very presence of God Himself. Falls Creek, tonight, I'm charging you as well in the presence of God who has given us His Word that we may live by its truth. That these words that I'm about to share with you tonight are not just my words. This is the Word of God for you. And I charge you by the living God that you would heed this challenge. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Tonight, I want to give you a challenge to listen to and obey this Word of God. A lot of people start the race, but far fewer finish the race. Why would Paul share this with Timothy in this context in this way? Paul knows as he's writing these words, he knows that his days are numbered. In fact, most historians, conservative historians, believe that Paul is writing this to Timothy from imprisonment in Rome as he's awaiting his execution. And he's writing this to Timothy, his final words, his final challenge, in all likelihood, the final letter that Paul wrote, the final letter that we have that's a part of his writing, his teaching that's included in our New Testament Bible, our New Testament canon. And as he's writing these words and these challenges, knowing that his final days have come, Paul is seeking to influence Timothy, one more time, seeking to challenge him one more time, that he would walk with Christ, 
that he would endure suffering, that he would do the work of an evangelist, that he would fulfill his ministry. I see three things in this passage that I want us to understand tonight. But before I give these to you, let me remind you of something that I said last night. The enemy is real. His agenda is ruthless. But ultimately, he is defeated. Because Jesus won the victory for us on the cross. And so we don't have to live in fear of what tomorrow may hold. We don't know what's coming in the future. You don't know what's coming tomorrow. In fact, we don't even have a promise of tomorrow. And yet no matter what the future holds, as the cliche says, we know who holds the future. Jesus is in control of our future. And so we can live with boldness and abandon and courage without fear because we know the one in whom we have trusted and he will lead us every step of the way. First, I see in this passage a charge to proclaim. A charge to proclaim. Look at verse 2. If you were a part of the breakout that I led in the chapel today at 2 o'clock, we walked through 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Preach the word, he says. Now that word preach there doesn't just refer to what I'm doing here and now. This isn't a call just to preach by standing on a stage or standing at a pulpit. To be clear, there are some that God is calling to preach. There are some who God calls to do this ministry. In fact, God used False Creek in my life to help shape and refine that call in my own life, in my own walk. That God used my time at Falls Creek when I was a student years ago and he used men who stood on that stage, which was a different tabernacle back then, but a different, a different place. And he used men who stood on that stage to preach the word, to deliver the word of God, to call us to follow Christ. And that molded and shaped me and helped me understand what God wanted from my life. And even tonight, even tonight, I believe some of you in this room, God is speaking to you and he's challenging you with that unique burden that you, would, that you would answer the call to special service. Now, I believe every one of us is called to ministry. Every one of us has been given a mission by God. But there are some who God calls to special service. He's uniquely calling you to a vocational life of ministry. And I say vocation, it doesn't necessarily mean you get paid, but it means your primary occupation, your primary lens through which you see yourself and your identity will be serving the church, serving the local church. God is calling us, whether that's the call to special service, whether that's the ministry that we've all been called to, whether that's the unique mission that God's been burdening your, burdening your heart with this week, God is calling us to proclaim the word. And so that word preach could also be translated as proclaim. And I think that's the right way for us to understand it. No matter if God's calling you to special service or not, I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that everyone who is saved by Jesus is called to proclaim the gospel. And that's what he's saying here. I charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who's the judge of the living and the dead, by his appearing in his kingdom, proclaim the word, proclaim the gospel. And then he takes it further. He says, be ready in season and out of season. Last night we talked about, we talked about those of you who train in the off season. You train in the off season so that you're ready when the season comes around. You train in the off season to get stronger, to get better, to build muscle memory, to improve your game. 
And so what he's saying when he says be ready in season and out, out of season, the season is when the games are scheduled. The off season is when, you, he's saying no matter what, no matter when it is, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what time, be ready. In any situation, in any circumstance, at any moment, be ready. Be ready to share the gospel. Be ready to share Christ. You're called to proclaim the gospel to the world that is lost without hope. We are called to push back the darkness as we as we preach, as we proclaim the goodness of God made available to us through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3.15 that we're always to be ready. We're always to be ready. In your hearts, honor Christ Jesus as Lord. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you. 1 Peter 3.15 says, it's a charge to us to proclaim the gospel. And if I can for a moment, I want each and every person in the room to look at me. I won't be able to make eye contact with you in a way that, that you may see us lock eyes, but I, I want you to try, okay? As I scan the room, because I want this point to be so, so plainly clear. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He is calling you to proclaim the gospel others to proclaim that you may say I don't but I don't know what to say and and I don't know what then learn that's what you do when you don't know something right you learn well I don't but but I'm scared I get that I've been scared I get scared at times too and I'm the pastor of a church I can relate but you know what you push through because Jesus is worth it he's worthy of our best because the lost world needs him because without Jesus they're lost and condemned to hell push through it push beyond it if you are called by Christ, if you have trusted Him as Lord and Savior, then you're called to proclaim the gospel. There's no denying it. There's no sidestepping it. There's no getting around it. The question is not, are you called? The question is, will you answer the call? Will you do what you're called to do? My challenge tonight is that you would, you would embrace your calling in Christ. So we see a charge to proclaim. The second thing that we see here, though, and this is important as well, is a change to prevent a change to prevent because he's talking about a time that is to come. Now, sadly, the time that he's writing about here, a time to come, is now. Sadly, this is the reality that we see today. Look in verses 3 and 4. A time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Is there a more accurate description of the present moment that we find ourselves in than 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4? No. I don't know of one. I mean, this is the moment, sadly, that we find ourselves in. When truth is challenged. Last night as we talked about the armor of God, we, we talked about the belt of truth. That we're to take up the belt of truth. Sadly, in the world that we live in today, in the moment that we find ourselves in, people don't even know what truth is anymore. At least they act as though they don't know what truth is. We've made truth subjective somehow, which is to say that you get to decide what truth is for you and I'll decide what truth is for me. The problem with that is it's blatantly false. Truth matters. Even though we live in the midst of a generation that thinks that truth is relative, we are called to stand for the truth. Because hear me on this. 
You can deny the truth. You can somehow ignore the truth. You can pervert the truth. You can twist the truth. But someday, you will face the truth. Because Philippians chapter 2 tells us that at the name of Jesus, someday at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, there's coming a day when everyone will confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But for some, it will be in judgment on the other side of a physical death as they are judged and sent into eternal separation from God in hell. May that not be true of us. May we be the generation who know Jesus. May may everyone in this room understand the truth and call on Him as Savior and Lord. And may we be a generation that makes it our business to reach people with the gospel. May we be burdened for the loss. May we be broken for the sin and the suffering and the pain in this world that has, that has distorted the minds of, of people who have been led astray, who have wandered off into believing myths. May we be the generation who takes up the mantle of truth, who rallies around the hope of the gospel, and who charges into the darkness with the light. That we would reach people for the cause of Christ. I recognize that tonight there are some in this room who are struggling against the truth. I know how it is. I know the, the, the reality of the present moment that we live in. There are some in this room and you're struggling with the truth. Perhaps for you it's the struggle to embrace Christian faith. Maybe it's the struggle to embrace these teachings that, that we find in the Scripture. And, and you come in this place every night and, and, and you just, if you're being honest, you're, you're wrestling against this truth. For some, you've been, you've been reached by the message that the culture proclaims. And, and, and some, you're, you're really struggling with your identity. You're struggling with, with reality. You're struggling to understand who you are and, and, and the world that you find yourself in. And I want to say to you tonight that I understand that the struggle can be real. And I'm not saying this to judge you. It's not my place to judge you. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm saying this for your good, that you might hear these words of truth, that you might hear this message of life, and that you might turn to Jesus, the author, the creator of all things, and that you might surrender your life to him by faith. This is a safe place. You're among people who love you, who want to encourage you, who want the best for you, who want to call you into the truth. Paul writes about a change to prevent. How do we prevent this change? By standing for the truth. By taking up the belt of truth that we saw last night. By standing on the the foundational truths of God's Word. By standing on those promises, as many of us sing in our churches. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. We stand on His Word. We stand on those promises. We stand by that truth. We believe it against all hope, knowing that His Word is true. And we can trust Him with our lives. Maybe you can't change the entire culture around you, but you can be a light that shines into the darkness. And you can reach those around you for Jesus. And I want to challenge you that you would let your light shine. Let it shine against the darkness. Notice the slippery slope in verses 3 and 4 too. It's like you, take an, you give an inch, you take a mile, that, that old, you know, the, the, the slippery slope here. And it begins with ignoring sound teaching. 
And I want to encourage you that for so many of us, that's where the, that's where the, the descent into deconstruction and, and, and the descent into ignoring the truths and the descent into unraveling and our faith, it begins by, by ignoring sound teaching and then listening to myths, gathering just those that say what we want to hear, right? What their itching ears want to hear. That's such a unique way to put this. But isn't that what happens, especially on social media? I mean, isn't that what we do on social media? We just, we find the influencers, the people who, who we like, and before you know it, like your social media feed is full of people who say and think all the things that you say and think. And I'm here to tell you, if you're always right, then you're wrong. Because if, if you have created this world and this bubble where everyone that you listen to says and tells you that you're right, then you're not listening to the truth. Because the truth of God's word will reproof and rebuke and correct and exhort. Go back a chapter and pick up the context of what, what Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Where he says that the word of God is profitable. It's breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work at the end of chapter 3. We've got to listen to the truth. We've got to be shaped by the truth. We've got to sit under the teaching of the word. We've got to study and know God's word so that its truths will shape our lives. That's how we, that's how we prevent this change in our lives in our circle, in our sphere of influence. Finally, we see in this text a call to persevere in the midst of, in the midst of a, a lost generation, in the midst of the spiritual darkness around us. We are called to persevere for the cause of Christ. Called to persevere. Look at the way he outlines this. He gives us a great instruction in verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, and he's not talking necessarily about literally being sober versus being drunk, although I think we should be sober. The point is that we would be of our right mind, that we would be fully engaged, have all of our faculties, all of our reasoning, all of our powers focused on what is right and good and true. Always be sober-minded, endure suffering. There are so many today who would preach that if you're suffering, then you're not following Jesus, and the problem with that is it just the, the Scripture Read it again and again and again in the New Testament, book after book, chapter by chapter, teaching after teaching, instructing us to endure, to persevere. We ought to expect trouble. You know who said that the most plainly was Jesus in John 16, 33? Jesus said, I tell you the truth in this world, you'll face trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Yes, we will face trouble. Yes, we will face hardship. Yes, we will come up against difficulties and trials and struggles, but we can we can overcome, we can persevere. The picture of that in the book of Revelation is that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And God is calling us to be a people who will overcome, who will endure suffering that we might overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. He goes on to say, do the work of an evangelist. That is to say, engage with evangelism. Here it is again. We're to proclaim Christ. We're to proclaim the message of Christ. And finally this, fulfill your ministry. Now, I've said already that we're all called to ministry because we are. This, this passage of Scripture and its teaching is a call to everyone who believes in Jesus, everyone who has surrendered their life to Christ. And yet, there are some to whom God extends the call to special service. Oftentimes, 
in, historically, we refer to this as the call to ministry. But I don't always like to use that phrase because I think we're all called to ministry in the sense that we're all called to minister. We're all called to, to be missionaries in the place where God has put us. But some are uniquely called to serve the church in special service. Maybe tonight that's you. God's speaking to you. My desire tonight is to call you out to challenge you to answer that call, to step into God's promise by just simply saying, Lord, yes, wherever you lead, I'll go. You may not know everything that the future holds. That's okay. You know the one who's in charge of the future. So give him your yes. Offer your life to him. Be willing to surrender everything to follow his call as you seek to fulfill your ministry. In a moment, we're going to move into our time of response. And in our time of response tonight, we begin with the call to follow Christ. See, before you can, before you can ever step into this promise and endure, you've got to take that first step, right? I mean, that's, that's just the, that's the plain reality, right? Every race begins with the first step. Every race begins at the starting line. And for some of you tonight, this is your starting line. This is the moment when Jesus is calling you to surrender your life to him by faith. And if that's you, after I'm done praying in a moment, as we stand together to sing this song of response, I want to challenge you to step out. Maybe you need to turn to a friend, somebody who's with you and say, hey, would you go with me? Maybe you're the friend that needs to turn to someone that you know needs Jesus and say, hey, if you want to go, I'll go with you. And you would step with them so that they don't have to walk alone. And you would stand by them in that moment as they make the most important decision they've ever made to surrender their life to Jesus, to confess him as Lord and Savior. If that's you tonight and God's calling you, and even as we begin to sing in a moment, you step into the aisle and you come meet me here at the front. I'll be here ready to celebrate with you. And there'll be rejoicing in heaven over those who come to Jesus tonight. Let's let that party start here at the altar as we lay our lives before him, as we surrender all that we have to Jesus, as we begin the race that he has laid out before us. And so even now, I encourage you to bow your head and close your eyes with me. And as I lead us in prayer, I'm gonna pray that the spirit of God would move in our hearts and our lives. And if he's calling you to surrender your life to him in order that you might begin running this race that he's laid out before you, then I want to challenge you when I say amen that you would stand and you would step into the aisle, make your way forward to this altar and that you would come tonight. Lord Jesus, I praise you that you save us from our sin, that our past is forgiven, our sin debt erased, the shackles are removed as we trust in you by faith. Tonight, I know that there are, there are some in this room for whom this is the moment where their race begins. This is the starting line. Lord, as we answer the call to follow you, I pray that your spirit would move in hearts and lives. And Jesus, we praise you in advance for what you will do in saving those who come to you by faith. We have struggles, yes. We have problems, yes. We have trials that we face, yes. We wrestle against the darkness of this world, yes. And yet, Jesus, we believe that you overcame all of that on our behalf. And as we turn to you in faith, you save us from our sin. You set us free to walk by faith with you.
Lord, now would you move in the hearts of those that you are calling to salvation. All this we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. To follow us on Facebook or Instagram, just search for Oklahoma Baptist Youth. And for more information, visit oklahomabaptist.org slash youthcamp. Thanks for listening.